close, eh? Uh, the balcony was packed. So St. Francis of Assisi Church over here, uh, just um, the response was just overwhelming. I mean, I just uh, was pretty blown away. Um, so what an opportunity. I mean, it was painful, it was hard, but what an opportunity just to, uh, just to be good news in the midst of pain. And um, so thank you for those. I know some of you came and all you could do was pray, pray for me, pray for the service. And others, Miles was just an absolute uh, soldier, uh, just did all the sound, came, brought in our, our uh, system. Miles, where are you? Oh, Miles is downstairs. Okay. But, um, see, there he is. He's serving again. Um, but he was wonderful, and Dawson, and uh, Bob Gad came and helped me. I just said, Bob, I need some people to lift my hands. <laughs> so Bob Gad from the Tri-City, former Tri-City Vineyard came along just to be there as a friend. And, and thanks for the, yeah, just, uh, just the encouragement, the feedback. We've got emails, just people praying, and and uh, uh, just really appreciate it. I feel like what I want to do today, just for the balance of our time, we want to have you downstairs by 11, or 12.15. And um, I wanted to just take you... Uh, when I woke up this morning, I was saying, Oh God, what was I thinking? Because what I did was I canceled our guest speaker for today. <laughs> and... Uh, Michael Collins is a great guy with the Salvation Army. You'll, you're going to love him. I'm going to try to rebook this as soon as I can. Maybe as early as next Sunday. We'll see. But he's a wonderful guy. And uh, so, Miles, they can pass on to you what I said. All right. Welcome back. Yeah, I love you, man. Really love you. <laughs> this is priceless. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Don. Thank you very much. Yeah, the encouragement really is a blessing because uh, uh, I remember going home last night at the end of the day, and, and it wasn't just yesterday. It's a, it's a whole week, of course, of, 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 of processing, of, of hearing the, the, the wails of children who say, Papa, don't go, you know, and just walking through all of that and, and trying to still keep enough distance that I can be of some help and, and while weeping with them, obviously. And, and so it just, uh, at the end of the day, it just, it, it, at the end of the week, uh, it, was, um, it was just uh, like a wrung out dish rag. Uh, you just, um, there's just nothing left. Physically and again, spiritually and emotionally, you feel that. And, uh, and, and, and some of the families still going through their faith struggles or in, an, in the middle of a faith struggle uh, and, and processing all that with them. And uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's very encouraging to hear that feedback. It's, it, it's, um, it's something I believe was a corporate thing that we, we did together. And uh, uh, yeah, I just love you guys. Really appreciate you. I want to just uh, uh, do a bit of a different sermon this morning, and it's just called uh, A Pastor's Lament. And what I want to do is just uh, 
take you to Psalm chapter 42. And I don't have it on the PowerPoint, so if you have it on your iPhone or your Blackberry or your, you actually brought a physical Bible, uh, an old-fashioned Bible, yeah, that says these and thou's in it and stuff like that. Uh, no, this is, this is from uh, Psalm chapter 42. And I just felt that what I wanted to do was just to take us as a... Because I know that we're, we're at different places. Now, some of you say, well, you know, uh, I'm, at, I'm at a different place right now, and that's okay. But it's recognizing that, that if we're part of one body, uh, we weep with those that weep, we rejoice with those that re- rejoice, we suffer with those who suffer. And so, for some reason, God has allowed a part of our body to really suffer today, to really be in pain today. And, of course, that's been enlarged a bit by, by the, the departure, the, the, the farewell of, of Art and Dixie. And, and, um, and for me, it just was this kind of sense of culmination of, as I expressed earlier, this grief and this loss. Um, I've just said goodbye to so many, so many people. Um, and uh, I have pastor friends who have planted churches in this city uh, whose, church, whose churches are still thriving. Uh, West Point Gray is one example. Um, I have a friend who, who planted that church who came to a point where he said to his wife, and his wife said to him, we can't take this anymore. There's just too much transition, too much transience. The grief was just too much. And there are others I know of that that's happened to. Because when you're a pastor, you get involved, you invest, you weep with people, you walk with people, you, you marry them. I mean, you know what I mean. Um, you dedicate their babies. Uh, you mentor their kids. You uh, walk with them through their suffering, their brokenness, their pain, their, their joys, their milestones, their birthdays, their anniversaries, their... And, you know, if you're not like that as a pastor, you shouldn't have that job. Um, but the, the downside of that is it really wrecks you emotionally. It can really wreck you emotionally. And, uh, and so, again, I, I just want to preface this by, again, saying this is a lament. This is not Gordy, you know, necessarily speaking absolute 100% good perspective this morning, if you will allow me to lament, I feel that we need to do this together, that it will heal us, it will help us move on, it will help us to move forward healthily. I think one of the problems in our culture is we've lost the ability of lament. We don't know how to do it, and so we medicate. You know, we, we need uh, porn, false comfort, shortcuts, uh, work, workaholism, I, I, for me, you need to understand, my greatest addictive um, tendency is to allow the, the work of the Lord to replace the Lord. To allow busyness and allow my need for achievement and success as a pastor uh, to replace my intimacy with God. It's an, it's an addiction I had for many years. Mercifully, God delivered me from that addiction through a severe burnout and nervous breakdown. But coming back into ministry, I found that, it, that the withdrawal is very painful. It's like any drug addict that is coming off of drugs. There's withdrawal and pain. And for me, it was this addiction to performance and to success as a pastor. I, I, had, I had planted this youth ministry in Calgary and it exploded and became one of the largest youth ministries in the nation. I was traveling across the country and that became my identity or my God. I didn't know it at the time, more than God himself. And so he had to just gently and tenderly wound me as a doctor and, and, and cut those things from me. And so, but it's still there. It's st- I still struggle with that. I still sometimes when I'm dry, when I'm in a wilderness place, when I'm grieving like I am now, I start going, God, I need, a, I, I, I need, I need to see evidence that your kingdom is coming. I, I don't think it's all bad, but it's, it gets mixed, you know, and you, 
I want to see disciples. I want to see people saved. I want to see Vancouver touched. I want to see the streets of the city healed. I want to see drug addicts touched and transformed. You know, I want to see what we see in the Bible. I want to see it. I long for that. And I don't, I don't, I feel like I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. Like you said we could see it. I feel like we're in this already and not yet. We all know the already and the not yet. You know, the already is the kingdom is here. Heal the sick. Preach good news to the poor. You know, raise the dead. And then he died. The guy that said that is, is murdered. His life is cut off at 33 years of age in a tragic, brutal death on a cross. Alone, dying, agonized, alone. All his best friends left him. He's alone. And even he thinks he, he feels like even God has left him. Even God's abandoned him on that cross. We have the not yet. The already. And then a little bit of the already came three days later. That resurrection, right? But that's our life. And for me, this last week is more about a not yet week. It's about a not yet week. It's, right? But I want to see more already. I, I, I understand theologically. I understand theologically that, that we're not going to see it all like we want to see it till that day. But like Randy, I wanted to see the taste of the kingdom in the most painful parts of our city. I still have that vision of him playing in front of the bay the day after the riot in June. Just wanting to bring hope and healing to our city when there was so much hatred and anger and blame. You know? I want to see the kingdom come. And so I believe that what God gives us in, in, in between the already and the not yet. We, it, I don't believe we have the capacity mentally and emotionally to handle that tension without lament. That's where I think lament is a gift. I think lament helps us get through that tension. Because if you don't, you, you, you fall apart. It's just it's too frustrating to have promises like those who believe in me, my works will they do, and greater works. And uh, I have to confess, I secretly prayed that God would raise Randy from the dead because I had my hand on his body in that funeral home. And I've done that before, by the way. I, I do it a bit covertly. I've done it ever since I was 10 years old and my little baby sister, two and a half years old, was lying in a little casket. And I asked my daddy, I said, Daddy, can I pray that God would raise her from the dead? And I love my dad. He said, go for it. He didn't raise her from the dead, but I just, it was like my father's permission to try. Try. Because it's happening in the world. Why the flip should it happen just in Indonesia or Africa? How come we always have to hear stories somewhere else? I'm tired of that. I'm grieving over that. And I, somebody said, well, you should pray more. It's, you know what that reminds me of? That Mike Warnke, tell, or no, not, it was not Mike Warnke, the guy that's, that founded Youth Specialties, he's passed away now. But he tells this story about this, he was watching this race, a school race, where all the kids are just running like mad. And this mom had a little obese boy that was in the race, and he was falling farther and farther behind. And, and he just said, give it, Johnny, just give it, yeah, like that. And, and his mom leans over to the balcony and she says, Johnny, run faster. <laughs> That's how it feels if somebody tells me, yeah. you need to pray more. Or you should fast more. I've done everything I know to do. I'm serious. Listen, I've read a few books. I've been around the world. I've preached in many different nations. I've seen everything you're supposed to do. I've repented, dust and ashes, done the Lent thing. I've, I've said, search my heart over and over again. I've done everything I know to do.
And you know what drives me crazy? It's the promises I've, I, I came to the city with. I feel like God tricked me. Sometimes. You know, Abraham, all those guys, they encourage me and many of you encourage me because I see you walk and I think the, the greatest thing that keeps me is when I think of faces and I think of just the love and, the, and, and just the faithful ones that walk this walk, this lonely walk, this hard walk. It's hard to be a Christian where we are when we are. It's hard to be a Christian. I've heard of a, a pastor in China who was tortured in a jail, who was told to deny Christ at threat of his life and his children were going to be tortured and taken away. His family was going to be, stuff was going to be done to them. That pastor got out of jail and he came here and he said it's harder to be a Christian here than where he came from. He said it's easier where he was. What's that about? I don't know. And I don't want to make excuses. But I listen to stuff like that and I say, God, are we not seeing everything? Is there, is there such a spirit of, of lies and deception and Laodicea here that, that we are so like salmon going against the stream? Maybe we're winning battles that we have no idea. I said that to my son who sometimes has said to me, Dad, I feel like I'm a failure because here I am at 33 years of age and I'm just struggling to do a business here in the city and, and here's this guy and he's still an interesting character. I don't understand him. I love him. but Randy loved him too, you know. It was amazing connection they had. He loved Randy. But I said to him more than once, Christian, you have fought and won more battles than most of us will in many lifetimes. See, we see it from our perspective. But what's God's perspective? What's God's perspective of us? What's he thinking? He's hearing me whining away down here. And what's, what's his... Ah, once in a while, I get a, I get a little bit of a glimpse. And when I do, I go, okay. Okay. I get it. For five minutes. <laughs> then I have to go back to trust and faith. And Even when my heart is torn, I will trust you. <sighs> so, are you okay? Are you all right? Is it okay for me to do this? I just feel like, I just feel like I'm, I'm not just voicing me. I feel like I'm voicing us. That's okay. I just feel like I'm voicing something corporate. And I, I know that some of it's coming through my grid and my lens. But, but let me read this psalm. I think I have scripture for this. How many know pastors, you know, they think up something, then they say, where can I find a scripture to back this up? No, we don't usually do that. But As the deer pants for streams of water... So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? You see, when we moved to Vancouver, I saw a vision. I saw a vision of the most broken part of our country, the most broken place on earth, being a place where the grace of God would prove greater, where the grace of God would come and show the whole world that if God can touch here and move here, he can move anywhere. That was kind of what the promise was when I came to Vancouver. Because I've always had a, a vision for the nation. I've always had a vision for the world and the nations. I, I, I don't feel my vision has ever been local and in one place. And yet I felt like there was something about the nation and the nations that was key in Vancouver. And so my vision has always been that God would come and touch the least, the lost, and the last. And that in doing that, he would, he would do for this nation what I felt would happen to me when I was in the middle of my psychotic breakdown 
And in that horrible night, dark night of depression, where I, I felt like I was not only worse than the worst Christian that ever lived, but I was no longer a Christian. I was the Antichrist brother, that I was worse than the worst murderer, pedophile, that my sin and my darkness was so worse, so bad, that there was no hope for me. And I remember saying to God in that hole, if you get me out of here, I promise you that I will look in the eyes of every person I, will, I ever meet and I will say, there is no such thing as no hope for you. If you get me out of this, there's hope for anybody. And I've done that. I've kept my promise many, many times. And I feel the same is true of our city. If, if God could... What would happen if the drive, and the downtown east side, and all of this mental illness and addiction and pain, homelessness, poverty, what would happen if God did something so powerful that the world who saw it at the Olympics and other times would go, what happened? What happened? I just love the healing of Lazarus. You know, when God raised him from the dead, Jesus raised him from the dead. Can you imagine Lazarus going out street witnessing? <laughs> right, I'd like to tell you about what Jesus has done for me. Man. Man. Well, I just feel the city is full of potential Lazaruses. Or that demoniac. Remember that guy who ran around and didn't know how to put on clothes anymore? And... And, and he was crazy, and, and, and oh, I'm feeling preachy now. But he, 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 was, he was more possessed. He was, he was as possessed, I think, as the devil could possess somebody. It says a legion of demons held that guy, right? How bound was he? How oppressed was he? We cannot fathom the, the, the darkness that he was in. We cannot fathom. He was cut off from his family. And I've talked to people who were cut off from their family by mental illness, by drug addiction. They couldn't deal with them anymore. They couldn't cope with them anyway. They pushed them away, institutionalized them, put them down on the street or wherever, but just don't be around us anymore. But then Jesus steps on the shore. And this demoniac that's in the cave comes tearing out of that cave. And he falls at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine a thousand demons? <laughs> they're up in that cave and they're saying to that boy, you're not going there. You're not going, you're staying here. And that guy said, no way. And, and he came running down and fell at Jesus' feet. And all the powers of hell could not stop that boy from coming to Christ. He was still busted. He was still demonized. But those demons, those thousands of demons, got a free ride across the beach <laughs> to see Jesus. They're going, no! No! Right? And then... Well, I love it. It's, it's, this is, you read this in the gospel. It's there. They fall at the feet of Jesus. And the actual Greek rendition of the phrase is, Jesus, Son of God, what are we doing here? You've come to torment us before the time. They didn't want it. They didn't want it. A friend of mine, Mario Morello, says it this way. No demon in his right demonic mind wanted to be anywhere near Jesus. <laughs> they didn't want to be there. But they had to check in because that boy, he saw hope. He saw hope. That, by the way, was another passage that the Lord gave us when we moved to Vancouver. He said he's going to save one. And it says he went when he asked to go with Jesus afterwards. Jesus said, no, you just go and you tell your friends and loved ones what I've done for you. He told me he was going to save some ones like that in this city. And he has. There's more to come, but he has. Right? He had to check in. And so 
That's, that's, the, that's the hope. That's the longing. That's, when, I, when I pray this psalm, I say, when will I come and meet with God? Why do we do this? You know, I was in the, in the club last night at, at Fortune and listening to that incredible music and the, the life and the joy. and It was wonderful. It was just, I was interacting with different people and dancing. I'm glad you didn't, I'm glad it was dark so you couldn't see me. But I was dancing and still crying with different people and hugging them. And, and I thought, well, why, you know, what's the point of this? What do we, why do we do Sunday morning? After that, I mean, that was church, man. It felt like church. Just love, music, and life. A little more open, you know, kind of to every, everyone and everybody. That's, that's great. And again, for Randy, as I said at the funeral, for him, it, he didn't see a distinction. He, 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 would, he would come here after he'd been at a, at a club all night and he'd be doing his thing, and he'd lean over somebody at the club and go, this is church, man. This is yeah. church, right? And then he'd come in about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning after he'd been out singing all night, and he got about two hours sleep, and he'd go, hey, Balagori, how you doing, man? You know, had his sunglasses on. He'd rehearse and somehow pull off a worship set. And, and I told him yesterday he ended up preaching more than singing. He'd come in and, he'd, and then he'd pray. He'd pray. He'd say, oh, God, I love you, man. You know? And, and uh, man, I really screwed up this week, but you still love me. You know? And there was this seamlessness where he would just go back and forth. And I think that was what Jesus did. Jesus freely came to synagogue, heard the word, read the word, preached. Worshipped, but then he would hang out with prostitutes, tax collectors. And when some people got really PO'd at him for doing that, he said, well, there was a guy that had two brothers. Two, two sons as brothers, and, and the father said to one, would you do this for me? And the son said, no, I won't. But then the son did it. And he said to the other, other son, Will you do it? And the son said, sure. Then he didn't do it. And you see, with God, you know, Jesus said to them, you know what, you, you religious people, you religious leaders? He said, prostitutes, tax collectors, thieves, liars are, in, are going ahead of you. Boy, I'll tell you, he peed them off. Ahead of you into the kingdom of God. They're going ahead of you into the kingdom of God. Because with God, it's not about distance. You know, some of us, we think we're really close to God, but the problem is our back is turned. There's others of us that feel a long way, like the prostitutes, the drug addicts, but we're facing this way. We're crying out, like Randy, Oh God, help me. Oh God, have mercy on me. So the issue is not distance today. The issue is what direction are you and I facing? Let me finish this psalm. We've got to go eat. Um, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? When can I go and meet with God? So why do we do this? It is because there is something that happens with this as, as motley crew as we are, as struggling as we are, as tired as we are sometime on Sunday morning. And we've got, we got a bunch of worship leaders who have, have, have young kids. <laughs> And they're trying to pull off a worship set Sunday after Sunday with, with babies. And I, I mean, I don't know how they do it. I mean, you guys are amazing. You're just amazing. I love it. And why do we do it? Why do we do that? We don't have, we don't have time for this. Our lives are too busy. Or we're too full. Why do we come together like this? It's because we believe that there is something about what we encounter 
with God when we come together that we cannot encounter any other way. When we meet in the name of Jesus Christ to worship the living God, to hear His Word, to break bread together, to pray for one another, there is something that happens there that doesn't happen when I go into my little spiritual mystical experience in the forest with the ferns and the fungi, which is good and there's nothing wrong with that and I do it a lot. But it's not enough because God lives in a house and we are His house. Not this building. Not these God-forsaken walls. But we are His house. We are His house. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, we need a paint job. We're going to, we'll get there. All right. We need some art. We need some beauty. God, please bring beauty and art. We need it. Oh, the artists yesterday so blessed me. They didn't know I was claiming every one of them for the kingdom of God. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive song. Okay, are you ready for this? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? All of a sudden the psalmist gets a split personality because now he's talking to himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. So he preaches to himself, but then he goes on and says this, my soul is downcast within me. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. I mean, I've been under the Niagara Falls almost. I've, that thundering. Can you imagine? This is what the psalmist is feeling like. All of life is crashing on him. Anybody there? All of life is crashing. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. What I love about the psalmist is that even though they suffer and they're in pain and rage sometimes, they keep talking to God. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Anybody feel forsaken? Anybody feel forgotten? As my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. And plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. You know what an unfaithful nation is? Just jumped off the page to me today. Nation of quitters. Nation that quits when it gets hard. A nation that quits when it gets dry. A nation that quits when the marriage gets hard. When, when the relationship gets hard. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nation of unfaithfulness. But God is faithful. Kirsten just gave me a word at the break. God says He's faithful and true. God doesn't quit on me when it's been hard for Him to love me. He didn't quit on me when I hurt Him, when I broke His heart. He didn't quit on me when, I, when my sins nailed Him to that cross. He, he kept loving me. He kept loving me. He kept loving me. So my declaration to you, church, my promise to you, my covenant to you in this lament as I come to the end is I will not stop loving. I don't care what they do to me or what anybody thinks of me or what happens to me or if everybody leaves the church and I'm the only one left. I will not stop loving. I will not stop following. I will not get bitter. I will not get jaded. I may lament like this sometimes. And because of that, I won't get bitter and jaded. And I won't become a drug addict or an alcoholic like a lot of my minister peers have become. Because we all need God's comfort. I don't care how holy you think you are. We all need God's comfort. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Well, I tell you, sometimes I feel that. I feel like God's just, you're just, I'm throwing you in the garbage can. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain. I will praise you with the lyre. You know what I've been doing lately? I've got to tell you this. I've been sneaking out my instruments again. <laughs> And I sneak up on the worship team sometimes and say, can I play with you guys? It's been, he it's been helping me. It's been healing me. Oh God, my God, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Dear sisters and brothers, 
It is 12.15. And with that I end. I present to you my pastor's lament. I do it as a congregational uh, prayer. I felt the Lord asked me to do that. I didn't even know what I was going to say. I just felt so much pain. Um, <laughs> I hope what didn't happen is I feel better, now you feel horrible. I hope that didn't happen. Uh, uh, let's stand together. So uh, please uh, stay with us. Let's just, as you pray, I think we just need to Thank you, Yeah. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. just lift up his arms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he needs it. So God, I I offer this I offer this in your presence. Lord, I asked you this morning before I came that whatever came out of my mouth would not hurt anyone's faith or uh, discourage them. Lord, I, I don't ever, I don't ever want to betray what I know, what I know. But Lord, you know my heart is, is wounded, broke, hurting. Lord, my, my heart is torn over the circumstances of this past week and and it just seemed to open the wound wide open to, to an ongoing cross that, that I, have, I have been bearing, Lord, in this city. And, uh, and I just felt like I needed my family today to enter into this with me to some degree. To, uh, and, and in some ways they already had, but that there would be some kind of voice given, Lord, to our pain. To articulate the, the grief, the anguish, the lament, Lord, that we're feeling at different levels. And, and so, Lord, I offer this lament in your presence. I offer to you, just even as our, our, our prayers were thrown in that burning cauldron last night, and, and they ascended, ascended, Lord, to you. I, I offer this lament, and I throw it into your fire. And I ask that it would ascend to you, and that, that you would answer you would answer, Lord, in, in however you choose, Lord. I, I'm not going to dictate. You just said the glory of this, what I would see here in this city, would be greater than any glory I saw in Calgary or in, in, in previous times where hundreds and even thousands of kids at any one place were impacted. Lord, you told me this glory would be greater. And forgive me for in any way presuming what that looks like. Lord, I, if it's just the one demoniac, Lord, that would be enough. Yeah. <laughs> that would be enough, God. Just the one. And, and, and Lord, what you've done for my son, that would be enough, God. And what I've seen, I look around and I see walking miracles. I see Gordy Gibosh here, Lord. That would be enough. That you saved his life, God. That would be enough. So forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for in any way presuming what this will look like. I just know that you said the glory of this latter house will be greater. It'll be greater than the former. So I surrender that to you. And I, I say, Lord, whatever you want that to look like, we release that to you. We offer it to you. In Jesus' name. You know, Gordy, when, um, when Donna prayed for me, she said that I was to him would be multiplied, that my life would be multiplied. And, and I had that thought earlier that um, my name means 10, Dixie. Dix means 10. And I was asking God, I just thought of it right now about mm-hmm. that my name means 10, but I was asking for 10 people to replace the prayer, the prayers that I prayed for you. For 10 people in this congregation or, or people that haven't entered into our congregation yet. But I'm asking God for 10, and I'll continue to do that. Mm-hmm. 10 strong warriors that will be far stronger than I could ever be. So thank you, Lord. I thank you for that vision, the word from Donna, for the word that goes out, for the prophetic word that goes out, Lord. And 
and that you will answer this prayer. And I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Dixie. Yeah. I uh, really would like all of you guys to pray for something with me. Um, this past week, I wrote to uh, my supervisor, and I said, I said, I'm walking through hell, but I'm seeing glimmers of redemption here and there. And so I'm grateful. And yesterday, that church was packed. It was packed with people I know and love. It was packed with people I don't know, but now I love them because I see how they've been there for our family. And Cordy just, there, there was not a message that could have been spoken more culturally appropriately, more spirit-filled than what he presented to everybody there. And so I want you to join me in just praying that God's, God promised his word would not return void, but it would accomplish what it was set out to do. Just like the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they water the earth and they bring forth seed. So I pray that you just join me in praying those words from Isaiah. Jesus, we commit those words to you that were spoken and shared yesterday through Gordy, through the reading of scripture, through worship sung by people who are lacking faith. And we give it all to you for every person that was there. Teachers of my nephews and nieces and children. Artists who walk the street in Vancouver. Friends who searched for Randy. Neighbors of ours. Friends of ours, family, church members. They just represented to us everyone we know. And we pray for each one of them, Lord, every single one, that your word would drop like a seed in their hearts from this tragedy, and that you would water that word, and Lord, that it would bear the fruit in their lives, that it would multiply hundredfold, thousandfold in their lives, and that we would just slowly begin to hear back stories of the new growth in their lives, that these seeds would take root, that those seeds would fall on ground that was ready to hear your word, and that you would continue to water it Mm -hmm. in everyone there, those hundreds. We ask for every single one of them, Lord, Mm -hmm. every single one, and that they would become lights in this city that the light would shine on the hill and that the whole city would be light, would re- receive and experience the glory of God through this one death, through this tragic loss. We give it to you, Lord, because we can't really do much more. You are the one that brings the rain from heaven to water these seeds. So we give it to you. We say, Gordy, you have done your work. You loved Randy well. You walked with him well. There was nothing else you could have done. There was nothing else you could have done. And so, Lord Jesus, bring the increase. And bring glory from this tragedy, this, this thing that feels like the enemy is one. We say you have not won. You may think you've won because you took one life. But we're going to step on your head. The Lord will be glorified through this far more than what we lost. But Jesus, we need you to do this. We need you to walk with us each day. We need you to walk with those kids and my sister. We need you to help us train them in your ways to know you. So speak to them. 
Jesus, today, these deep groans, this travail, this this place, Lord, where there's no words, there's just a deep, deep cry from our spirits. Everything that Gordy said is very life poured out like a drink offering, Lord, on the streets of Vancouver and this congregation. Lord, we offer it up today as part of the great symphony of intercession that goes on before the throne of God. Lord, you said that all creation is groaning to see the revelation of the mature sons and daughters of God for the redemption of your people. All creation is groaning along with the Holy Spirit who groans inside of us and the the Son of God who is interceding day and night before the right hand of the Father. Lord, this great, this great crescendo of intercession that rises today, we join, Lord, our hearts and our pain with that of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and all creation. And we thank you that it is not in vain, Lord, that you hear the prayers of your children and you hear the prayers of your Son and that there will come redemption even as Jesus poured out his life in that garden and it seemed like the darkest hour and it felt like the enemy had won a victory. But Father, you pulled it out of the bag. (laughs) Lord, three days later, you pulled the trump card and you said, every time a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, there comes forth multiplication of resurrection life. And that we haven't seen the end of it yet, Jesus, you get the last word. And so we stand in the midst of all of our questions and all of our pain and all of the things that we don't understand. And we choose this day to say, God, you are good. You are always good. And you are in control. And you get the last word. And we will stand and watch to see the redemption of God and the goodness of God in the land of the living. Thank you, Father. Yes, Lord. Yes, God. (laughs) And Lord, we stand here with our brother, Gordy, with our swords of truth raised against the darkness. And in your power, we... We turn on the darkness, mm-hmm. and we beat it back in Jesus' name. Yeah. Lord, as the psalmist so eloquently said it in Psalm 42, that my soul remembers. Lord, we remember. We remember what you've done in the past. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, God. You are faithful and just, and your righteousness goes before you, Lord. Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the hope, the living hope. That hope for the future is built on the past. That's why the psalmist was able to say, my soul remembers what you've done, Lord. Lord, even though we often feel the deep pain and, and hurt in our souls, Lord. The weeping and the crying, Lord. Hope rejoices when it feels like it wants to cry. Thank you, Lord. Our hope is in you, Lord. You are forever on the throne. And you look down on your creation. You stoop, Lord. You stoop down. You're a humble, humble servant, King. We adore you, Lord. We worship you and all your goodness and all that your name is. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this solemn time together as a family. And we stand together to proclaim your goodness in this land, in this community, this city, Lord. Praise be to your name, O God. 
forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. I needed that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think I needed to hear Kirsten say that. You always feel like you could have done more. <laughs> like, like uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the, the German guy that rescued the Jews. Schindler, he always, he said, I could have just rescued one more, and I just I felt such pain. <laughs> I won't get one more email from Randy or phone call. Or <laughs> he'd send me these personal invites to his gigs. I wish I would have gotten them more. He was so excited about singing with Ziggy Marley, Bob Marley's grandson, a couple months ago. I, I was so tired. <laughs> so I, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. And I believe all those prayers. I believe all those promises. I believe that... That is... A, a corn of wheat that does fall on the ground and dies will bear fruit. And, and that uh, weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I believe that, I believe that. But like you, I can't force it to come. We have to just wait for it to come. I felt like we need to all watch Lord of the Rings for the next month, you know, just watch the trilogy. And the reason is, is, is I... Uh, I, uh, I just studied Lewis, uh, who was a real close friend of Tolkien. Tolkien was a real influence on in C.S. Lewis, and, and uh, they were part of the Inklings, and, and Tolkien was a Catholic. But what, what forged his fantasy literature, like Lord of the Rings, was this concept of the eucatastrophe. The eucatastrophe was the opposite of a catastrophe. A eucatastrophe was where it just seems all dark, and it's all lost, and... Remember that where they're all in the cave and somebody says, so this is how it's going to end. It all ends here. And what does the king say? What's his name? The king guy? Huh? Yeah, yeah, he says, he says, well, come and ride with me. Let's see. Let's see what will happen. And, and, and Gandalf, when he says, you will not pass, right? And for a while it looks like he was wrong, doesn't it? It, it He's go spiraling down in the pit, and well, what Tolkien was was influenced by was this incredible sense that that in spite of the worst darkness and the worst tragedy and the worst setbacks that you and I could even conceive, that joy will have the final say. Joy will have the final day. So, so if you can handle it, watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Maybe we'll just watch it Sundays for the next few <laughs> All right, well, thank you. you. You are my family, my friends. I love you. Thank you. Let's, let's go and have a little lunch together and, and go Lions. Okay. <laughs>